Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. The shift to remote work and digital services during the COVID-19 pandemic has shone a spotlight on Canada's infrastructure and its digital divide. It comes at a time when the world is making a major shift to the next generation wireless technology. But unlike 4G, 5G is triggering the next industrial revolution. The fourth, to be specific, steam, electricity, and the integrated circuit triggered the first three. 5G will power everything from our factories to our cars. And a new report from the CD House shows that investment in the telecom sector is critical to keeping Canada competitive globally. But how do we bridge that digital divide? The Institute's Telecommunications Working Group recommends the federal government provide facilities-based providers with a clear and predictable regulatory framework that balances competition with incentives for ongoing investment in improving network and service quality. But what exactly is the service we're talking about? G is about speed, latency, and power. We'll be able to download a high-definition movie in the blink of an eye, reducing the time it takes a one or a zero to go from point A to point B from 100 milliseconds to one millisecond, opening up new real-time video capabilities. And the low power requirements will mean millions of sensors will be deployed with batteries that will never need replacing because the technology will be outdated before the juice runs out. So what does this all mean? For insight, I turn to Luciano Ramos of Rogers, Tony Guerin of TELUS, and Shaw's Brian O'Shaughnessy. Brian began by pointing out 5G isn't just another G. Yeah, the most amazing thing about 5G as it is now is that it really is a bottom-up build of a brand new technology with a new thought in mind. And really, for all of our companies, it's going to be the foundation of growth and innovation for the next 10 years. So it's important to get it right. Specifically, if you look at all the previous four generations of technology, they're all people-centric. They're all about a person with a phone to either talk to someone, text with someone, access information. There was data services beyond that as well, but for the most part, that's what it was designed for. 5G as it is envisaged was designed from the ground up to do various different things, whether it be super high speeds, handling massive amounts of IoT devices, or having really low latency type services. So it it's really a different approach that lets us get at more functionality uh, right off the bat. I agree with you, Brian. I think um, it, it differs in that the others were consumer-centric, and this really does open the door to more business, machine-to-machine -machine application capabilities, and inherent uh, in that capability set are the parameters of extremely low latency, which would be essential in a world of autonomous cars or in you know high high critical mission critical systems that cannot afford to have uh, signaling latency in order to operate and function. So it, it, it's much more an expansive technology that will bring in a lot of the smart technology capabilities in a way that we haven't been able to bring them together before and extend those aspects of physical networking where they exist to those areas again, which have been challenged with that physical link. And I think, uh, in that in that way, it's a it's a bit of a groundbreaker in in how connectivity will become more apparent to everybody, irrespective of some of the geography and other constraints they may have had. Well, Luciano, give me your insight into this. This seems, as it's been said, to be less consumer centric, more industry 4.0 centric. If we had to break it down by percentage, 
how much of 5G is about the end consumer and how much of it is about enterprise? I think my colleagues are spot on, you know, 5G brings in at the core of, of, of the standards and, and the ways we built from the ground up, it's a little bit different from the previous Gs. You know? In 5G, we're actually rebuilding the whole network. We are rebuilding every single piece of the network. It gets a, gets a kind of a re, re, rebased, rethought, and uses brand new technologies that are being used in the cloud. In the cloud, like the hyperscalers are using, like the Googles and the Netflixes are using. So it's a, it's a whole rebuild of our mobile and wireless networks. And deep, deep inside of that rebuild, we also build in use cases around the industry, you know, cases around smart cities, connected homes that rely on these technologies that we're going to be building. So hard to say what is the percentage and hard to say how you're going to split these capabilities. But I think what you will see is that the industries will be or the B or what we call the B2B and the business sector will benefit from all these new technologies much, much faster than the consumer. The consumer will definitely be benefiting on this, you know, but there's things that we still don't know. There's still the business opportunities that we still that we haven't even been able to grasp what this technology will bring. You know, when 4G came out, the smartphone didn't really exist as it exists today. The Apple App Store didn't exist as it exists today. And these businesses are generating billions and billions of dollars, impacting GDPs in a way that nobody ever thought when 4G was 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 built at the time. So I think 5G will bring clear, clear impact to industries day one as soon as we deploy. I think time will tell how these uh, these services will, will will grow and will end up creating more value for consumers. You know, Brian, you brought up an interesting point about autonomous vehicles. You know, when we think about 5G, you've got the speed, you've got the low latency, you've got the Internet of Things component, low powered devices, hundreds upon hundreds, maybe thousands upon thousands connected to just even a single tower. But what's interesting to me is speed and low latency aren't the same thing. Sure, I can download a movie 10 times faster than I could before, but an autonomous vehicle not only needs that speed, it also needs the ability to react incredibly quickly. And I suppose that's where the low latency comes in. Yeah, you know, low latency does a number of things. It's everything from augmented reality type capabilities. So you could have like a someone with a goggles on looking at a maintenance of a dishwasher and the manual pops up and says, fix this thing here. That's what you want to be looking at. It, you need low latency that you need it for, as you say, um, self-driving vehicles, but you know what? It's even more important. I think industrial automation is going to be huge in the coming years and, uh, the ability to have automated factories, etc. You just need that ability to get information out and back quickly so that some centralized system can control it properly and things, whether it's a vehicle, not crashing, or it's a, uh, uh, a piece of autonomous industrial equipment doing the right thing at the right time. That's what's really important with latency. It has a large number of capabilities that it's gonna deliver. There's also the, the concept of autonomous vehicles, low latency, and also the concept of the edge. You know, I think that 5G also enables capabilities to bring compute and capabilities closer to the user. That's also on top of the low latency technology that 5G brings in. You can even go deeper and start putting compute closer to our users and closer to the applications. You know. Autonomous vehicles is a great example. Autonomous vehicles, if you look at the, the early, early autonomous vehicles, you see this car with kilos and kilos of equipment being mounted on top of the car because they have to put servers, compute, memory, storage. All that stuff doesn't, that's not required anymore. All you really need now is you can move all that compute to the edge of a network, 
hosting in our in our networks very very close to the users, and then you just put cameras or you put a sensor, and all that information can actually in a really really fast low latency network can be uploaded to our edge, processed and sent back to the cars. And not only it's sent back to that particular car, you can send it to multiple cars, and then you can start taking the data from multiple cars at the same time and start making much better decisions than that autonomous vehicle with everything self-contained. I think that's the power of the combination of the low latency and the edge. You guys are going to have to roll out an incredible amount of hardware where a lot of these boxes that normally would exist far away from the end user, uh, they're going to have to be smaller boxes, closer to the user, and more of them. Tell me about the infrastructure rollout of 5G and what that means for a company such as TELUS. Let's talk about it from a Canadian context. Canada is absolutely one of the best well-served uh, places on the planet with respect to the sophistication of its broadband networks. And, you know, for Canadian industry, our ability to stay uh, in a leading position that we are in, I think is essential for our future well-being. Uh, and our networks, be they Shores, Rogers, Bells, or Telluses, um, are ideally suited for this edge environment. We are already there with parts of our radio access network infrastructure our physical broadband infrastructures. So logically, we're absolutely in the right place to extend that connectivity and to leverage this technology to support the applications and sophisticated um, management system technologies that are going to become more and more apparent as 5G becomes more pervasive and, and the future frequency ranges that are needed to support it are, are released and, and utilized. So. You know, I think we're well positioned, but I, I think the key thing is that having the quality networks that we already have and the infrastructure that has been invested with billions of dollars of each of these entities' uh, capital over the years now has, has really positioned Canada in a leading position and one that I think the the faster we get our 3.5 gigahertz spectrum auction out and deployed, you know, the more we can sustain the leadership we have and continue to put Canada at the forefront of the emerging digital economies uh, that are developing. And I think that's, that's for me, is the critical aspect. We're well served. We've got a position of leadership. We have the best quality 4G networks, um, and in some cases better than some of the early uh, variations of 5G that are out now. So I think it's a, it's a position of leadership we mustn't squander as a nation. And I think each of us have capabilities and infrastructure to play that can make part of this story come together. One of the stories that I'm fascinated by is remote surgeries. We know we have problems in the north of this country with access to appropriate health care and necessary health care. People have to be flown down uh, to the 49th parallel so they can get the kind of health care they need. Uh, what of that whole idea of rolling out 5G north of um, where most of us actually live so that we can actually get that kind of technology into the hands of the people who need it. We've uh, obviously got a lot of small rural communities in, in northern uh, BC and northern Alberta. And I think this technology, one, is a game changer to getting this, the level of sophisticated broadband needed to a device, a machine interface, uh, to enable something like a remote surgery. Uh, we've been working with some surgeons at Vancouver General Hospital in, in pioneering robotic surgery 
on on throat cancers, which are are, are a growing uh, challenge. And you know, you absolutely don't want a remote surgery with uh, a latency issue or with a uh, a quality broadband problem. And so I think the art of the possible when you get this level of broadband connectivity, reliable, uh, at low latency, the the opportunity to take advantage of that type of technology for the specialist to be in a big urban center somewhere, but supporting a transaction or a surgery or a consult in, in a remote rural location that has the broadband connectivity at the other end is a game changer for those environments. I think it will be a lifesaver. And I think as we deploy these networks, that part of the rural connectivity is a key component uh, of extending and equalizing uh, the benefits of the uh, digital economy to all those aspects of or all those societies within Canada that are sometimes left behind because of their geography and their challenge of getting there. But don't you guys also have a challenge too? Because 5G to accomplish certain things like the ultra low latency requirements of certain technologies requires millimeter wave band uh, transmitter towers that have to be placed in short distances from each other. You know, in cities like Toronto, where you could put these towers in every other block, that doesn't seem to be a problem. But I can imagine it's a heck of a bigger problem trying to accomplish the same sort of rollout when you've got nothing for hundreds of miles except one customer. The key is you have to get high bandwidth into the community to start with, right? First of all, you have to have fiber and high bandwidth capabilities in. Uh, I think whether you have a 5G network or not, they're beneficial, but getting fiber into a hospital is probably what you need to allow for to enable remote capabilities, not so much 5G capabilities. 5G, where it's going to be good for, is if you have something that's more of an emergency situation or on you know, in an accident location, et cetera, for allowing better uh, use and low latency applications into that particular environment. But for a hospital, I would sure as heck hope that they're connected by fiber and connected at both ends that way. There are um, areas of the country where the economics of provision of this sophisticated networking is obviously challenged because of the density of the population. And this is where, you know, the combination of public and private funding comes to play. And I think we're only just starting to see that provincially and federally, those uh, government-backed schemes that are providing subsidy to enable the economics to work, uh, then working with the private industry to contribute as well, are starting to bring together layers of public funding combined with private funding to extend those networks and get the physical attributes uh, to the points of presence where they're needed. Um, so. I think there's a job to do still to, to cover everything that needs to be covered. But in the scheme of the, the investment required relative to the billions of dollars that are being uh, put out to get us through COVID, that are going to be needed to kickstart the economy post-COVID, this is not a really big number. And within, the, within Canada, we've got enough strong uh, entities that can build these networks to go get the job done if we can be smart around how we can bring the parties together focus the investment so that we build once and, and do and build it right and make sure that we get a good return for taxpayers dollars I think there's a it's a relatively easy problem to solve for I think I'll, I'll add to the to the previous question around um, <clears throat> millimeter wave and, and low latency I think that we, we should separate both as well you know there, there's different the different usages for the different technologies you know millimeter wave 
it's a great technology for really, really high throughput applications, and it does require to be very close to the, uh, to the antenna, but it's not a prerequisite to do low latency applications. You know, with standalone core today on, on really good spectrum, really low band spectrum that we all have, 600 meg, 700 meg, we can have really good coverage with really low latency applications. Granted, you might, you might not be able to do those high bandwidth VR, AR com, uh, type of transmissions, but you can have IoT sensors, you can have communication in a really low latency environment. Today, this technology exists today and it can be deployed today in rural environments. So I think that we need to use, I think our toolkit allows us to have the right technology for the right use case. There's going to be a combination of fiber build to a town, to a rural town. There's going to be a combination of fixed wireless access to get to that even more remote communities where we, we just does not make any sense to build fiber because just the economics don't work. I think 5G does bring in, in, in many, many areas a better price per bit that will allow us to go even a little bit deeper into that uh, rural connectivity. So I think that between us, we have we have a lot of toolkits to go in and, 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 and bridge this rural uh, digital divide. And, and to Tony's point, I think it's this is our opportunity. You know, if, if, if we... If we learn something through COVID is that we can actually make this country work remotely. We can actually build an economy and sustain an economy working from home, remotely from our place. So I think that connectivity becomes much more important than ever. Dense areas are kind of easier to tackle. And I think it's our collective to go after the rural areas and start tackling that particular broadband deployment across the rural areas. Uh, Luciano, dig deeper into your toolkit for me then and, and help us understand a little bit more about one issue that comes up when we talk about IoT, when we talk about the idea of remote surgeries, the fear of being hacked. Uh, with my understanding of the 5G core, this is a wholesale rebuilding of the way security is done. You've got multiple ring fences around the technology to prevent intrusion from getting directly into the network and able to create the havoc that we've seen in previous generations of technology. But that's just me telling my mom that story. How do we tell the world that we've got the 5G security thing so I think that, that going back to that, previous, to that previous point around the Gs, you know, the evolution of the Gs, the first G, second two, two G, three G, they were all incremental upgrades on the technology, and and there were really minor incremental updates on technology around security. Yeah, we we added a little bit of encryption from two G to three G. We kind of do a little bit of security on some numbers, so the bad guys didn't see the numbers, but. When it comes to 5G, we're rebuilding the whole network and it's being built with brand new technologies. And all these technologies are using latest and greatest encryption algorithms. All the messages, just to give an example to, without going too deep, uh, all the messages between the hundreds of little applications that we're going to have running around, all those messages will be encrypted everywhere on the network. From the handset, from the UE, the, 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 the device that sits in the customer home, in the customer hands, all the way to the other device, every single part will have encryption algorithms there will be certificates around the whole network. And these are these are the same certificates and same security that's being used today by, by Google to secure their transactions, by by uh, Shopify to secure a, a credit card uh, application. You know? So we actually put in all that brand new encryption and security technology deep, deep into the 5G network, across the board, in every single piece of the network. So if anything, 5G is, is going to be one of the most secure communications networks ever built. It's probably the, one of the single biggest focuses in the industry overall. I mean, obviously getting things built is important, but getting it built in a proper way is even more important. And 
you know, the, the industry in total focuses on this, like you wouldn't believe in terms of every industry forum or standards body or whatever is embedding it. As Luciano was saying, it's such an important fundamental part. You know, I'm very involved in 5G Americas and we have committees that look at this every single day at how can you get better at it? What type of things could go wrong and what do we have to look for in the future to, to make it better again? And you know, the best example of how important it is, is if you were to ask every company around the world, how many had a chief security officer at the highest level whose only job was to make sure this stuff was being done properly five years ago, it probably wasn't as big an issue with someone's part-time job in the IT team or it was the CIO's job. Now we all have chief security officers because it's something that's really important for us to focus on. So, you know, it's uh, it's not it's not an end game. It's not like where we are now is the last thing we need to do. We just know we're in a good spot to start and we're gonna have to work every single day to keep it that way. That leads to an interesting thought uh, about silos and the nature of the telecommunications industry from day one, and I'm rewinding the clock a hundred years, uh, is that when we come to the fifth generation of wireless networks, the industry needs business practices to operate in a different way because you now have partners. Uh, you have those hyperscalers, you have those cloud providers at different levels that you work with as opposed to being responsible for rolling out every element of the network yourselves. How is the industry evolving to build a corporate culture that fosters that kind of uh, positive silo breaking down and cooperation between divisions? Who wants to tackle that one? Maybe I'll go, I'll, I'll, give, you my, I'll give you my perspective. You know, I, I, you're, you're spot on. I think uh, the, the 5G is a technology that will enable massive, massive transformation of businesses. But it's also it's gonna it's gonna require that we as telcos and as operators we change a little bit the way we we used to we used to create business value. Yeah. So in the old days, you would buy a technology from an Ericsson or a, or any other big 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 name big branded vendor, put it in the network, and then go and sell it. And that, that's really all the players that you had in the old days. Today, there's a concept of co-creation of value. You know, the the connectivity piece is just not enough. Customers are expecting much more from us. So. There's an aspect of co-creation, of creating new solutions to customers, and enterprise is, a, is, a, is an excellent example. You know, There's so many options when it comes to IoT or, or low latency, and so many things we can do with this technology that we're going to have to work very, very closely with our customers, but also with the hyperscalers and also other integrators in the, in the ecosystem. You know, the, We're going to have to plug in all these little things together so we can actually build something that doesn't exist today. And we, we, particularly at Rogers, we're doing this through a, a few a few partnerships. So we, we are partnering with UBC, as you guys know very well. We're partnering with the University of British Columbia. But we have development projects going on, research and development, where we're actually incubating these ideas to a state that we can bring it back to a customer. And then when we bring it to a customer, that can potentially become a solution or a product and a business value that we create for Rogers. So we do that with UBC, we do that with, with Waterloo, and we also participate in other forums. And while we do that, we also bring in our own internal company into the table, our business partners, so they can actually participate in these co-creation opportunities to create new products and new solutions to our customers. How do you sell that, though? And the, what I mean is, in Ontario, for example, we have a remarkable automotive industry. We have parts of this country that are very focused on the mining industry, uh, all sorts of industries that have been doing things a certain way for a very long time. How do you walk in the door and say, listen, 
I know you think you're good at what you've got right now, but we're going to roll out for you technologies that allow robots to communicate with each other so that if an employee, if a, a, or someone on an assembly line reaches out for something and they're not wearing a glove, a safety glove, the system will shut down because the eyeball in that IoT device recognized a risk. Um, how do you convince industries to First of all, open their wallets so that they can be part of the fourth industrial revolution uh, and then actually show them the way that that would make it much better for them. I don't think you need to sell them, although there's always a sales process. Don't get me wrong. But these companies, they're looking for ways to be more efficient. They're looking way for ways to be more competitive globally. They're looking for ways for safety. You know, we're working with a number of mining companies and we've already implemented autonomous type operations with those uh, mining companies in Alberta and BC. And they come to us saying, job number one is safety. Show me how to be more safe. Job number two is to be efficient on how we do things and let us run things more continuously in, in, in a self-managed way. They are already looking for this stuff. The real trick is for us to figure out how are we going to be involved in that? What's our job? And it can be anything from we're providing connectivity and they've got all the rest of the systems to others are going to come to us and say, nah, you know what? I just want you to run the whole thing and just manage all of the infrastructure for me and everything in between. They each have their own methodology of appro and approach to, uh, to implementing services and how much they want to do themselves. But in all honesty, they're all looking for ways to be more efficient. You just need to show one example and everyone comes running to uh, to try and take advantage of it. Now, it's not that simple. It's going to take a lot of work for us to get it right. It's going to take a lot of work for others to get comfortable with it. But it'll be a bit self-propelling, and it'll go in fits and starts. Some application will come up that everyone embraces, and away it goes. And then a while later, another one will come up that everyone embraces. It'll just happen over time. Necessity is the mother of invention, right, and, and, and innovation. And I think the there isn't a business on the planet that hasn't had to re-examine how it does business because of the pandemic and the changes thrust upon all of us. So I think the opportunity with this emergent technology and everybody looking at saying, is my business model fundamentally changed now? Will it ever go back or will it have to be something different? Has opened everyone's eyes to looking and examining how they do things. And I think Luciano, um, really hit the nail on the head with 5G, it's going to be about co-creation because no one entity is going to control the environment, the ecosystem, and smart parties working together effectively to solve problems, leveraging the technology and the capabilities of that technology will be where these breakthroughs occur. And then they will either have uh, a an immediate impact where they're picked up by multiple entities because they're, uh, they're relevant enough or they will then have a spinballing effect where you can see a, an idea will break out of that and another party will take that and refine it customize it and you know from telus's perspective we've been looking at how we transform ourselves as a part as a result of the pandemic and as a result of technologies we're deploying in our networks uh, how do we leverage them how do we use the work styles that we've been pioneering for 15 years now on working from home to enable our customers to do that better and leverage the sophistication of broadband. And now we're working with Google to look at how we can co-create on ideas of mutual interest, where we think there's a, a beneficial outcome for society, for an industry sector, 
been part of the transformation journey. So I do think you're going to see a lot of uh, development happening because people have identified a need to change the way they do business, the way their customers want to do business with them. And this technology is going to lend itself to that fast co-creation, which I think is really exciting. And the op this is why it's so important for Canada. The opportunity for spin-off to be ahead of the curve if you've got these sophisticated networks deployed, to find those solutions and bring them to market first is a global competitive edge. And I think it's essential that Canada is leading in this in this respect. Right. When 4G was first introduced, it wasn't 4G is here. Now we can create Netflix. Somebody went, hey, look at what we can accomplish with this new technology. Uh, we've touched on the, the COVID-19 pandemic to a degree, but it's made very clear that in terms of digital connectivity, that there are two Canadas. How does 5G factor into this discussion? Um, I, I think it, it's it's part of the story. It's not the whole story, though, that the two Canadas could be connected better with the existing 4G technology. And in some cases, that is being leveraged. As we discussed earlier, there are still challenges of making economics for the investment right so that we can build that infrastructure over these expanded geographies to get the connectivity where it needs and and then you can leverage other technologies around it um i think 5g is just uh, another example of why you, you want to solve the problem now so you don't leave uh the rural and uh, remote communities even further behind i think there's an opportunity now to build out connect and then they can leverage and and use the 5g as part of an extension of the broadband infrastructure that they need already. So uh, to me, it's 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 not uh, a, a different problem to solve for. It's not a, a way of solving the problem. I think it's, it's part of the solution, uh, but it's necessary that we still get to grips with extending those networks uh, in the most cost-efficient, uh, tax-efficient way possible and leveraging the right parties to go get the job done on a timely basis with committed outcomes that we can be held accountable for. For those of us who will have access to 5G, uh, particularly in the early days, maybe it's geeks like me with my new smartphone and, and things like that. Well, when I tell people about the power and the flexibility of this nascent technology, I, I like to point out that you can download uh, a, a high definition movie, not in 4.5 minutes that it would take under 4G, but depending on how well the 5G network is wired up and all of that sort of thing and how it's configured. It could be as little as one and a half seconds to download that same amount of content. And everybody has the same answer or response when I tell them this. It's, oh my God, that's going to blow away my data caps. How do we talk to the consumer about the ability to consume more without suddenly getting a million dollar phone bill? We knew this was coming. We, we understand the technology will bring massive improvements of amount of data we can move and how fast we can move that data and, and applications will require as we, as we create these technologies and we, we make the network faster, we put stuff closer to the edge, closer to our customers, applications that we cannot even conceive today will start to pop up. And those applications for sure will require more data. And we can't just put all that stuff into the customer bill, right? So it's just not gonna work. So what we did at Rogers last year was we, we, we identified this as a, as a blocker for 5G adoption, and we launched unlimited plans. Similarly to my peers here, we, we launched unlimited plans. We know, we, we believe that 5G and the true power of 5G 
and all these new applications, whether it's ARBR or, or whatever those are, cloud gaming, whatever those applications are, they will not function in the best network that we are going to build unless you have an unlimited plan, unless customers feel comfortable that they can actually use the applications without being penalized. You know, We have the best networks in the planet. Canada is leading. It's a global example of the best networks, even in geographies that are very, very complex. You know, Our countries are extremely large, extremely, extremely large. It's not easy to build a mobile network in this country. But we, build, we did it. We have the best networks across the globe. And we need to enable that that network to our customers. So I think unlimited and, and enabling unlimited on 5G is critical. It will be required as we continue to add capacity to our networks, and it will be required to enable customers to feel comfortable to use the network. Brian, final thoughts from you. Yeah, you know what? 5G is going to produce a whole bunch of new stuff. I think you said it earlier. When 4G was developed, there was no one sitting there on the standards by saying, I want to enable Uber and Netflix. That was never in anyone's mind. So what we're all doing is building this phenomenal network to set of networks to allow new innovation to come from that kid in the basement is going to come up with a great idea that's going to balloon like you wouldn't believe. And we're just going to build networks that make allow that to be delivered to our customers. So uh, in terms of, as Luciano said, comment about having unlimited uh, capacity on the networks, unlimited uh, on the bill is, is an important part of that. And it's part of what we deliver as well. So. You know, the future is going to be really, really interesting. We'll see where it all comes to be. I can just guarantee whatever we're saying the future is and it's going to be the biggest application is not what we're going to be talking about 10 years from now when we look back. There'll be something entirely different. Tony? I think one last thing, Michael, is that when you look and you see how this technology is being utilized, think about the things it has displaced. So for the family that are downloading the movie in one and a half seconds, uh, and watching it at home, they've avoided $100 they would have paid to go to the cinema uh, for popcorn, drinks, and, and watching the same movie. So when you look at there's a value um, transition from leveraging this technology and avoiding the journeys, the commute times, and all those other expenses. Um, so they can be a way of making some of the service affordable. Our job is to make sure it's affordable as well and that the unlimited element that Luciano mentioned is a feature of everyone's bundling now because uh, you don't want customers af afraid of using it. But there is a massive societal change in where costs that were once incurred have been displaced by this technology. The, the positive factors of how technology is being utilized are really changing the nature of the cost structures of personal economies as well as national economies. And I think we got to make sure that those features are well understood so that we can really measure the benefits and focus the investments to, to get more of them where it makes sense. But it's a, it's going to be an exciting future. And as Brian said, it's going to be a lot different. We were not predicting it right. There'll be things we didn't even consider that will come to the fore and there'll be the, you know, the latest, greatest thing. And we'll all be talking about in two, three years time. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and insight. My pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Brian O'Shaughnessy is the Senior VP of Wireless and 5G at Shaw. Tony Guerin is the Chief Customer Officer at TELUS. And Luciano Ramos is the Senior VP of Network Development, Planning and Engineering at Rogers Communications. Still to come from a physically distant C.D. Howe Institute, March 2nd, a webinar with the Honorable Travis Taves, President of the Treasury Board and Minister of Finance for the Government of Alberta. March 5th, Dr. Stephen Lucas, the Deputy Minister of Health Canada. 
and March 12th, Stefan Dion, Canada's ambassador to Germany and special envoy to the European Union at Global Affairs Canada. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Stay safe. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.